the first thing you want to do is, you know, when you're young, the real skill of the 21st century is the ability to acquire new skills. So I believe going and working at a startup is a great idea because if you work at a five-person startup and it doesn't work out, you will have been given so much work to do that you're going to be given far more responsibility than you would be given in a 5,000-person company. So my best advice would be to use that $50,000 to subsidize going to work for high-risk companies if you needed a subsidy. And I, I would just that. And I would just hold on to it just so you can see from the inside three different startups absolutely crash and burn over five years. Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of the Start Ed Up podcast. Today is a rebroadcast from 2017, and our guest is Jason Calacanis. And, and I want to explain why I wanted to rebroadcast this. Uh, so first of all, I had had him on because I was already a big fan of his podcast, This Week at Startups. Um, but also, part of the interview was about his book, Angel, How to Invest in Technology Startups. Um, some of the most practical advice is in this episode, but... The other thing that made me remember this interview is, is that he is the host of a easily my most favorite podcast, the All In Podcast, which features Jason, uh, David Sachs, Chamath Palihapitiya, and David Friedberg. And uh, listening to this podcast has really been, in a lot of ways, reflecting on how America is thinking about some of these issues. These guys are kind of on different spectrums of, of the political spectrum, I should say. But they are best friends, and they, even though they argue, they appreciate each other's point of view, even if it's you know met with some resistance or, or some arguments. But uh, a couple weeks ago, they were talking about education and what needs to change, and in some cases, the value of college education. And in this particular episode I have with Jason, he gives us some of the most practical reasons of if you had $50,000 and you chose to invest that differently, what would you do? And also just the learning of what a high school student or a college student could do now and work for a high growth company or a startup and, and that kind of education. So back in 2017, I was humbled and flattered. And then quite frankly, now that I am a unbelievable super fan of the All In podcast, I couldn't help but want to rebroadcast this. So Jason, if you're listening, thank you for your graciousness back then. And uh, I hope that uh, you listen to this again and, and go, man, we're starting to start talk about the same things in education. So I'd like to reintroduce to you, Mr. Jason Calacanis. All right, now joining me is Jason Calacanis, author of Angel, How to Invest in Technology Startups, timeless advice from an angel investor who turned $100,000 into $100 million. Jason, thank you so much for being on. Oh, thanks for having me, Don. Okay, so I've seen a lot of interviews with you, uh, heard some of the things, and I've got to say your story is really unique. Through the lens I'm looking at today is I work with a lot of young entrepreneurs. I'm talking from 15 to 21. And in your world, um, I want to kind of look through this lens of if I'm a 17-year-old and I have either a working prototype or I have uh, something small scale that could be bigger, um, how would they go about knowing your world? And um, what are some practical steps to, to get them introduced to the world of angel investing? So angel investing in this context, it's important that we define what it is because people have heard angel investor before. In my world, angel investing means the earliest investors in high growth 
technology startups. Now, it's important to say high growth and it's important to say technology-based startups here because you can angel invest in a pizzeria. You can angel invest in an ice cream machine or a movie uh, or your friend's album. And I would say in most cases, those are not actual angel investments. Those are angel contributions or gifts or support with um, a focus on supporting the individual within it because you have an affinity for them and or their creation. Now, the, the difference is in the angel investors in my world, the focus is on returns. And so we can put people into two buckets as angels. Angels without an expectation of extreme return or any return at all. And then there are people who are angel investors, who are professional angel investors, who are looking to return uh, cash on cash. They want to do better than doubling their money every seven to 10 years. And I would say much better because doubling your money every seven to 10 years means you can just do – it's somewhere in the low single digits. Um, you know, Let's say you return five or seven percent a year, year over year. You're going to be doubling your money ballpark seven to ten years, and that will keep you hopefully up with inflation. But there's all kinds of different cycles, and there's inflation in t- in different areas of the economy, right? The inflation of housing and the infl- inflation uh, of higher education has been massive. It's doubling much shorter than every 10 years. It's doubling every three to five years, right? You can just know that by the housing boom or the education uh, boom in tuition costs. So putting that aside, you want to be able to beat the markets when you're angel investing because you're taking more risk. And so the book Angel talks about how to do all that. So now onto the other side, how do you qualify for angel investment? Well, there really is, uh, there really are different categories of angels as we've talked about. And in that first category of angels who don't care about the return, we call them professionally friends and family because they typically be they typically are your friends or your family, your rich uncle, your uh, cousin, your aunt. Somebody has some money. They want to support you and giving you $25,000 for 2% of your company to get you started. To them, they don't care if they if they double their money and they saw you succeed 10 years from now, they would be fine with that. If they lost it, they also would be fine with it. Um, and then there's also sweat equity, which is the act of using your personal efforts to build the company. And there's bootstrapping, another type of financing in the early stages. Bootstrapping means uh, that I am going to get a customer to pay for this product. I'm going to get people to pay in advance for the product. So Kickstarter or Indiegogo are examples of people bootstrapping a business. Even Patreon or reoccurring donations would be an example of bootstrapping, and then you get into professional angels. Professional angels typically today in 2017 when we're recording this are going to be looking for products that are complete or nearing completion somewhere in that zone and have what I would say is early to modest traction. So let's unpack that a bit. There's pre-market, there's pre-product release and there's post-product release. Pre-product releases, you're finishing the product. You and I can show it to each other, but the public is not playing with it. Then there's post-product being completed. That's typically called a beta. You know, we've got 10 or 100 people using it. And then there is uh, product market fit and early traction. Traction means you have customers paying. You have users coming back every day. Some level of engagement that's being actually tracked. 
So to get the professional investors, you probably want to have completed your 1.0 of your product yourself through sweat equity, bootstrapping, or friends and family. And you're probably going to want to have three months of data or traction. If you don't do that, you're really not qualified to get professional investors yet. The professional investors might meet with you, but they're almost universally going to say, come back with a, let's keep the discussion going and come back when you have a little more traction. So fighting to get a meeting when you have an idea is a very bad idea. That's not the right time. Fighting when you have a business plan, also not the right time. Fighting when you have a product that's complete, maybe, but you'll probably get a call reception. And then going and visiting investors when you have three months of traction, you're going to get a warm reception. We did three months of traction. We had one customer in the first month, three paying customers the second. We lost two and we gained back four. So we have five now in month three. That gets yeah, you a meeting. Yeah, what it also probably gives the them more leverage too. I mean, if somebody smelt something like, you know, boy, this actually looks good. They don't have anything yet. We can get something out of nothing kind of thing. And I'm assuming that, you know, if like I'm, I'm looking out for the best interest of my students or young entrepreneurs and, uh, you know, if they have a working track record, even though it's not great yet, at least they have some leverage, correct? Yeah. Here's the thing about early traction. Nobody expects it to be up and to the right and just a rocket ship. That does not happen typically. Um, even for great companies, Twitter, Facebook, Tesla, uh, Uber, PayPal, like even some of those great early companies, they had, you know, traction that probably went up and down a bit and was a little bit uh, uh, inconsistent. Uh, you know, if you looked at it on a week to week basis, probably inconsistent on a weekly, on a monthly basis, but perhaps consistency if you, you know, pulled back to the quarterly basis. Yeah. When a company starts growing like Uber or Tesla, eventually you can look at Model S sales on a monthly basis, a weekly basis. You can even look at Uber rides or Snapchat utilization on a daily basis and start to see a very, very specific trend. Yeah, so, ironically enough, you were you were in on the early, early stages, stages of Uber, correct? Correct, yeah. I was probably, I was told I was the third or fourth investor. That's awesome. And at that uh, so, time, they only had two or three cars on the road. So we could see something, but you were just basically looking at two or three cars on the road. When people did the Series A, you were talking about, I think there were two or three cities at that point. And when people did the Series B, you were talking about there being a dozen cities. So you could look at a dozen cities and 100 drivers in each and get a really good idea and a good feel for where Uber was at in the Series A or Series B. Okay, so if again I'm I'm 17, uh, I've I've uh, got some sort of an, a unique. Well, I guess the key word there is unique uh, technology thing, and all of a sudden they're like, okay, where where to begin? Um, you know, you you've listened to this, you think you've got something. What is the first step in saying I want to get noticed or talk to a reputable angel? Is that like, should they go through like an angel network or should, is there anybody that kind of stands out that like they're into developing younger people or, you know. Is so the, the best way to meet an, an investor is to get a referral. The referrals come uh, typically through other investors, which gives you a chicken and egg, right? Obviously, if you haven't met one investor, it's hard to meet the second. So let's put that to the side for a second. Uh, entrepreneurs or manage, management team members, you know, early investor or early team early team members of companies they've already invested in. And that is a lot. So if you look at me, I have 150 investments to date. You can find all of those online at Angelist, Crunchbase, Mattermark, 
deal book or by searching Google News for you know launch fund or Calacanis as an investor. Many ways to find out where what companies I've invested in. LinkedIn exists for you to find the contact information uh, of all of those uh, early employees. Then you would try to get one of those early employees to take a look at your product to give you advice. So here's a way to do it. If you're doing an, an app that is a subscription-based app, you know that I invested in Calm.com, a meditation app, which is $10 a month. You might also know that I'm an investor in FitBod, B-O-D, which is a monthly subscription on iPhone for, I think, 7 or 10 bucks a month as well. Now you know there's two companies that are monthly subscriptions. You're doing a monthly subscription for um, uh, a life coach. And you say, hey, we got this life coach. It's 10 bucks a month. And we think it would be very similar to Calm or FitBot, except it's for coaching your career. What do you think? And now all of a sudden, you would be in the position of uh, going to five members of that team, trying to get a meeting with them to say, hey, I know you're doing something. I'd love to show what I'm doing and maybe make you an advisor. Uh, but I'm just looking for advice. Can I meet you anywhere for coffee, 20 minutes? You might actually, if you email 30, 40 people, get one or two meetings. You get those one or two meetings, you'll leverage those to, hey, do you think I, it's possible for me to get an introduction to Jason Calacanis if you think this is compelling? Or when would be a good time for me to get an, in, an introduction to Cyan Bannister? And they might tell you very candidly. The other thing you can do is email over the transom. So Cafe X just emailed me a video of their coffee-making robot, and I said, come to my incubator. And so... If you have the goods, if you have a great product with some traction or something super innovative, it is possible to get a reply from an angel investor. It's probably impossible or unlikely to get a reply from a venture capitalist with a cold email. You don't want to send a, a extremely long email. You want a short email with a product demo link and some basic traction. We launched this product for this reason. That's two sentences. Here's the link to the demo on YouTube. Here we have these five customers and... Um, We'd love to get your advice on what next steps might be uh, to become a partner of yours. Boom. Done. Short email. You don't send everything. What you're all, all you're trying to do with a short email is get a response. The shorter the email, the more fact-based it is, and the more product there is and metrics in it, the greater the chance you get a reply. The longer the email with the less hard data in it and the less product demo in it, the less chance you're going to get. So it's people think writing yeah. a long email and telling us everything is going to work. No, it's going to be TLDR. Too long, didn't read. Okay. Well, no. So along the same lines, actually almost the exact opposite. So I heard you and you've written about and you've talked about the fact that if you want to be on the angel investing side, you know, it might take you 10 years to kind yeah, of sounds like a, you, Yeah, 10 years is a good idea. Yeah. Right. So I, when I heard that, alarm bells went off again because, you know, I'm trying to tell anybody that's under 25, you know, take these fun opportunities now while your costs of living are low before you have a kid, unless you have a kid. Uh, if you were like, is 17 too early to start dipping your, I mean, obviously they don't have the money yet to be an investor, but in, through some of your, you know, things that I've read in some of your talks, it seems like they could start learning. Uh, yeah. that, that they, so, they've got time on their side. They're like, so by the time they're 27, is it, is it, would you be taken seriously as an angel at 27? Um, I, I met through like networks 18, and stuff like that? I met a 19 or 20 year old who had been given a trust fund by their parents and they were at a 
demo day at Y Combinator investing 25K in startups and they'd done 10 investments already. So mommy and daddy gave him 250 to invest a year or something. And he was going to be an angel investor slash venture capitalist. There is an easier way to do this, which is called syndicates. So there's something called angel list. There's another one called seed invest. And then there's one called Republic, and then there's one called Funders Club. They're all mentioned in the book. You can Google them all. Those four are very reputable. And then I have my own personal one, Jason's Syndicate, um, as in plural, uh, jasonsyndicate.com. And that's where I share my, my deal flow. In those cases, you can invest as little as if you're an accredited investor, which means your parents and you have some amount of money um, or some amount of revenue per year you know, $1,000 to $5,000 a deal. But there's something called non-accredited investors doing equity crowdfunding. And that just passed in the last year here in America, which is if you don't have huge amounts of money, you can bet as little as, say, $500 in a startup. And, you know, I think if you, even if you're a college kid making 40 or 50 grand a year out of school, you might be able to scrounge together 500 bucks instead of going to Coachella for a weekend uh, and put it into a startup and then start getting updates. You're probably going to lose it. So you have to take that into account, but you don't get your money back from Coachella either. So, you know. Yeah, that's been the real catch 22. And in that it seems like um, as an angel, your success rate is very similar to like a really good baseball player's batting average. Yeah, if you hit 200 or 300 uh, percent, you know, percent, in other words, you hit the ball two out of 10 times, three out of 10 times, got on base, pretty impressive. So I would say, yeah, I mean, if you hit 400, I mean, that would make you legendary in baseball, I believe. <laughs> I don't know if that's happened that often. So I think that's about right. Uh, Ted Yeah, you have many more, you're going to have many more misses if you're doing it right, because hopefully you're picking ambitious ideas that are so crazy that nobody's ever tried them or people have tried them and failed before and you're taking real real risk just like if you think about it like people who were explorers you know a couple of hundred years ago when they left spain they didn't know if they were coming back or not and they didn't know if they'd make it around cape horn they didn't know if they were going to make it to india china to the new world or just get yeah. lost at sea and have cannibalism so well I, I think that's, that's one of the things that I, I what we do yeah well that's one of the things i wanted uh younger people to to hear is that, um, you know, we hear cool terms coming out of Silicon Valley. And the reality is, um, there's a lot of failure. Now, of course, we also hear that fail early, fail often, that mantra. But when all of a sudden, you know, you hear somebody, you know, bright eyed, bushy tailed, like, I'm going to be an angel investor, and they do have a trust fund that mom and dad gave them. And they quickly exit that because it didn't work out. Or worse yet, you may have somebody that scrapes their money together and they're going to be an angel investor. That those, those kind of odds, I think, are nice for them to hear up front. And then also just kind of like what you've been you know, kind of encouraging before, take a 10-year approach. Maybe not, maybe be a, you know, pool your money into an angel group or just watch from the sidelines and take notes. Um, give, give me a practical advice. All of a sudden, let's just say... Um, He's a 25-year-old uh, female, not yet, 25-year-old female student um, has all of a sudden came into $50,000 mm -hmm. and has a 10-year goal. What should that look like? Yeah, so the first thing you want to do is, you know, when you're young, the real skill of the 21st century is the ability to acquire new skills. 
So I believe going and working at a startup is a great idea because if you work at a five-person startup and it doesn't work out, you will have been given so much work to do that you're going to be given far more responsibility than you would be given in a 5,000-person company. So my best advice would be to use that $50,000 to subsidize going to work for high-risk companies if you needed a subsidy. And I, I would just that. And I would just hold on to it just so you can see from the inside three different startups absolutely crash and burn over five years. Literally take a five-year approach, use that money to move to Silicon Valley and to start your journey or spend 10 or 20 grand on it on going to a coding school and getting a job in Silicon Valley or become a sales executive at a job, you know, and go through a sales program. In other words, get some skill that startups will always need. Startups are always going to need sales executives. They're always going to need product managers. They're always going to need somebody to run customer research and customer support. They're always going to need uh, people to work in the HR department and recruit talent. So if you have some skill, and the skills I just listed are going to be here forever, being able to round up talent in the HR group and recruiting group, selling your product and marketing it, always going to exist, building the product, always going to exist. There'll always be designers, developers, product managers, people who make wireframes. And so if you can get one of those gigs and hopefully maybe move between them and get into training programs and just say, you know what, first five years of my career, I'm going to work in startups and watch them burn. Then at night, I would join AngelList, Seedinvest, Republic, Jason Syndicate, and just watch the deal flow go by and see if you might be able to make $500 or $1,000 bets in 10 companies, build an AngelList profile, build a website, a blog, a medium, a Twitter handle, and an online presence that says, I'm a product manager and angel investor. Now, when you put out that you're an angel investor and you put 10 logos on your website or 10 logos on your AngelList page or 10 notes on your LinkedIn or all of those things, when you say that, people are searching for angel investors constantly, which means all of a sudden you're going to get 10 meetings a week, five meetings a week. You start meeting with five people a week. You explain to them that you're just starting out as an angel investor. It's probably not worth their time. You're only putting $1,000 in, but you're happy to meet. They're going to be like, oh, wow, this person cares enough to meet with me and give me their time. You hear their pitch. If you read the book, I talk about how to behave in meetings, what questions to ask, how to be supportive uh, in the face of the long odds that entrepreneurs face. And now all of a sudden, you're meeting five companies a week for five years. You're, you've met over 1,000 companies. And maybe you can become an advisor to companies for free. So to be an advisor to a company, which is how I started my angel investing journey, I was advisor to companies. I traded my knowledge of startups, which was how to start a company, how to market a company, how to make product, how to do sales, all the stuff I knew, how to do social media, how to do SEO, very blocking and tackling stuff, also very high picture stuff, and also my positivity and enthusiasm, which was a unique skill I had of being super positive, enthusiastic about the future. I use those skills to get myself on the cap tables for free, for zero dollars. So if you have skills, people will respect you for those skills. The, the quintessential skills of startups are either you make the product, you sell the product, or you find and develop the team. Those positions, there's five or six positions in each of those verticals, right? And also starting your own company is a great way to figure all this out because you will probably fail and you'll probably learn more from doing a startup than you will with anything else in your life. So right now I'm very focused with my daughter who's seven 
on helping her build her ice cream business. And, you know, she's making different ice cream flavors and she's learning. And so that's a big goal is to have her learn ice cream flavors. I taste test them. We bought an ice cream machine. We did research. I'm just teaching her how to make great ice cream and come up with a great business idea. That was some of the most practical advice ever. The book is basically my guidebook. I, I tell people everything I know, every secret for 10 bucks, they can listen to it on audible and for, 17 or 18 bucks, they can buy it on Barnes and Noble or local bookstore, hopefully, or Amazon, write a review. Books are the greatest uh, hack uh, in terms of getting knowledge. If you're trying to get ahead in life, you should be reading, you should be reading or listening to at least two books or three books per month about business. If you're serious and you want to have a great career, the people who've had great careers literally write playbooks. And if you're young, you, and you want to succeed in the 21st century, you are totally screwed right now. There are people around the world who are working more than you, who have less money than you, have less opportunity, and they appreciate things more. So they will take a job as a video editor or a graphic designer or a sales executive, a customer support executive for three, four, five, six dollars an hour. And you're going to come out and expect to get paid 10, 15, 20, 25 dollars an hour. And you are going to be met with a brutal, brutal reality unless you have massive skill and the ability to learn new skills and you have hustle. For the young people who are watching this, you are guaranteed nothing and you are in competition with literally the world. All the work in the world is moving to the markets where people work the hardest for the lowest price and who have the most hustle and ability to learn new skills. The way to defend against this is to be more creative and have greater skills and to be more positive and be a better team member than those people are. And it's not easy. You're going to have to put in more effort. And I'm finding a very uh, largely entitled generation right now that is unaware of what they're up against. I, this is one of the reasons why I have a podcast. I mean, literally, everything yeah. you just said, because I'm in education and – I'm, I've been blessed to be able to interview people like yourself and there's this wave coming. And I mean, in some ways, you know, the frog doesn't realize that the water is boiling, uh, the amount of jobs that have already gone away and we haven't really noticed it yet. And then, you know, like everybody sees the driverless technology, everybody sees, I mean, heck, just if you go to your local grocery store, the automation hasn't replaced all 15 checkout lanes, <laughs> but it's half of them, but, but, but uh, 80%. Yeah. And, uh, and people kind of notice it. And so you're right. The thing that boils it, the skills that people are boiling it down to are innovation, creativity. Yeah. Like that's it. Like, and and, hustle. And, and, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yes. Resiliency hustle on top of the, this is why I tell people like, listen, what skill do I need? Well, the skill you need today might be very different than the skill you need in five years. And we have a problem here, even in Silicon Valley, where 40 and 50 and 60-year-old developers with 20, 30, 40 years of experience feel they're being discriminated against because of their age. And because at their age, they may not be able to work as much as they got to pick up their kids from school, and they might not be willing to work on the weekends because they have kids or they want a different lifestyle. And because the programming languages that they spend all this time to get good at are now not being used as much, and there's new technology that they're not aware of, they're not willing to take the time to, re- to relearn it. Companies are not willing to spend the time to retrain them. And therefore, we, you know, even those people who have had massive jobs are now getting wiped out. It's, 
it's a bit like erosion. You know, you just you see the waves on the beach and then you come back to the same beach 20 years later that you went to as a kid. And you're like, I remember the beach being longer and it's or you remember the beach being shorter, depending on which side of the erosion uh, equation you're on. And, you know, these jobs are going to erode. And what will be left is a small number, a smaller number of jobs at higher paying prices uh, for people who have elite creative skills with one of the creative skills being the ability to acquire skills quickly. Yeah. Well, I, I, the other thing that scares me though, is, is that there's a lot of, and this has been talked about, like put yourself in the mid nineties, you know, I'm going to build well websites. You are set for 10 years, 10 years, years, yeah. And then, I mean, I'm not saying this, but then, then 12 year olds started replacing you. Uh, kids and software. Yes. Well, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, drag and drop software that became easy. And that's sometimes the way I feel about what you just explained. Somebody that learned uh, an HTML or C++ and all this other stuff, and they're like, hey, there's something new. Uh, yeah. And, and I, that is stressful. That is definitely stressful. And so when people get all high and like, oh, my gosh, you should all learn how to code. Well, that's also kind of scary, too, because... Now the software really is writing its own software. So it's uh, the only things that I see that are, I wouldn't say bulletproof because I don't want to do that, but things I see are bulletproof or without a doubt, like we're talking about creativity, innovation, truly how to problem solve like the things that people are complaining about. Um, And more more jobs will be created too based on this bounty. People will be able to work less hours. People will be able to have more nomadic lifestyles. So the other opportunity for people and, um, is to work less, lower your cost of living, work yeah. remotely, and have a more uh, redefined lifestyle. So if you really care about your time off and you want to do creative projects that don't pay well, you could be the most amazing uh, designer and product UX person, uh, but you could live outside of a city, like two or three hour drive, live for 500 bucks a month in a two-bedroom apartment versus living in a two-bedroom apartment in San Francisco for $5,000 a month. And you're doing that arbitrage. You come into the city, you stay at a $150 a night hotel, and you do two days a week at the city, and you do five days a week at home. And you better be damn good at your job if you're going to pull that off, or you better be get used to a very long commute um, and hustling for short periods of time. But I know people with this nomadic lifestyle now. And they move from city to city. They have great freedom. They don't have great savings. They don't have a great safety net, but they do have the ability to make work in many different cities around the world because they have some ability to keep acquiring skills and they're creative and good at what they do. Yeah. <laughs> Listening to that made me anxious and nervous. But, but you're, you're right. You're absolutely right. I see people doing it. You have to, you, in order to do, oh, yeah. qualify for that, you need to be elite level because you be able to have to be able to go to a company and say, listen, I know you got like 100 people working in this company, but I am really good at public relations to a level that you're not. I am going to write better press releases. I'm going to write – I'm going to make better emails and I'm going to write better medium posts for your CEO and I'm going to do better phone calls and emails to journalists to reach out. So just outsource. Give me $20,000 and for the next four months, I will uh, you know, work – I will manage all this for you. And then you manage it in 20 hours a week. You keep your costs low. You're making $60,000 a year, which wouldn't cut it in the center of San Francisco. We just talked about the $5,000 a month apartment, but it would cut it 
if you were living out in Sacramento or an hour out of Sacramento here, you know, and driving in to do your meetings with them for two days. Yeah. So it can be done. Yes. Yeah, you need yeah, to be yeah, elite. Yeah. And this is one of the things that I've been talking to people. I think a lot of young people expect that their job will teach them to be elite. That's just not how it works anymore. The job is not going to take the time to find – the job will not make you elite. You will make yourself elite, and the jobs will come to you. And if you're not willing to show the hustle to be an elite player, that's the, you're just not going to get the gigs. It would be like me saying, I want to play shooting guard for the Knicks. And they're like, well, you shoot 17% from three-point range. And I'm like, yeah, but if you hire me and give me a trainer, I'll get it up to 30%. And they're like – why don't you go get it to 30% on your own and then come talk to me and maybe we'll make you, you know, if I was younger in my younger days, who knows? But yeah. people just have a very weird, um, you know, young people are naive and they don't understand how fast the world is changing. Their parents don't understand how fast the world is changing. But people like you and I or you through the, your podcast talking to people like myself who are in technology, we know that when the restaurant workers said, hey, we want $15 an hour that all of these Panera Breads and TGI Fridays and McDonald's all came rushing to Silicon Valley and said, you know what? We were paying $9 an hour. These people want $6 more an hour. I think it's time we do that project where we get rid of every every cashier and everybody just orders at a kiosk. And, oh, yeah, by the way, like, eh, we now have to pay for health care and all these things. Yeah, maybe now we need robots to flip the hamburgers or make the French fries. So. You know, the idea that human beings are going to be involved in the French fry making business, like a robot's going to do that in the next five years better than a human, much better. In fact, flawlessly and 24 hours yeah. a day and getting better because they're going to be have AI built into it. So the yep. fry, even the fry job is gone and the yeah. register job gone. You have to have to have to acquire skills and be able to sit there, turn off your goddamn TV Stop watching Game of Thrones. Turn, delete, <laughs> delete Snapchat and Instagram off your phone. Delete Facebook off your phone for 90 days and say, I'm going to watch lynda.com videos. I'm going to watch Treehouse videos. I'm going to watch, um, you know, pick the learning site, just general YouTube videos. I'm going to go uh, become elite in my skill and I'm going to go live in Silicon Valley on a couch and get jobs working at startups doing whatever it takes. But you have to go to where the jobs are. You have to make the sacrifices. You have to give up your life. You have to give up your TV and your other you know, non-accretive behaviors and time sucks to add skills. And that's what I did as a young person, and that's where I got where I got. I was willing Again. to make the sacrifice to learn skills. Right. No, seriously, practical advice. And and even though this has kind of been through the lens of younger people, people of all ages, indeed, uh, pick up the book, Angel, How to Invest in Technology Startups. I um, I agree with you. I, I, I just love the fact that when I read, because I, you know, a lot of times it's when I'm driving, I'll, a lot of audiobooks, a lot of podcasts, but I love connecting with people that are like, hey, here was my playbook. And uh, a lot of times they're, they're, eerily similar and the hard work and the dedication and, and the acquiring new skills is uh, without a doubt uh, there. But I also like how in your book, you have some of the practical tips on, you know, what the other networks look like and how you would get started. So for that, I sincerely appreciate you, you taking your time. Of other, course. Th other, 
other other than the Amazon, any other places you want to uh, steer us? Oh towards? yeah, yeah. So great plug. Um, this week in startups is my podcast where I talk to startups, and then angelpodcast.com. Uh, angel podcast is where I talk about I talk to angel investors about how they make decisions angel investing. So there's two different podcasts. This week in startups has about 750 or 800 episodes. An angel podcast came out last week, and I think there's five episodes out. So if you want to just put in the earbuds, put it at one and a half speed, and stop listening to music, stop listening to you know other nonsense, and just get focused on your career and focused on your skills, take responsibility because, by the way, mommy and daddy cannot help you unless they're super rich. But mommy and daddy are not <laughs> going to be able to help you. And the world is changing very radically. Consider this a wake-up call. You are screwed if you think you can coast. There will be yeah. – if you coast, you're toast. <laughs> How Johnny Cochran of you. Yes. All right. <laughs> the glove does not fit. You must have quit. Exactly. All right. Thank you, Jason, so much for being on and taking so much time to give us some practical advice. I sincerely appreciate it. And uh, I'm hoping that some of our audience will reach out to you. Yeah, absolutely. I'm Jason on Twitter. All right. Thanks so much, Jason. Cheers now. Bye.